Hi, everybody. It's Jacqueline. And Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow. What's up? The Spring. OG crew back in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Spring is here. But it so doesn't feel like it because it's gray and it's cold. <laughs> so. Surprise. Sp- exactly. <laughs> Spring needs to sprang already. You feel me? <laughs> uh, welcome back, Black and Yellow Nation. It's good to be back in your ears again with Jack by my side. Mm-hmm. Jack, it's been a minute. How you doing? I'm doing well. It sure has been a minute. I'm doing doing great in a turtleneck because it's cold. Um, <laughs> Happy spring. Yep. How are you doing? Good. No complaints. I'm in a new sound booth. So if, if my recording sounds a little bit different than normal, dear listener, uh, that is why. Oh, lucky, lucky. So if you have embarked on a fantastic audio journey and made your way to the show for the first time, welcome and what's up? We are good to have we are happy to have you and it's good to see you. And uh, thank you for stopping by. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe. If this episode uh, touches a funny bone, maybe it (laughs) tickles a taste bud. And you think a friend or uh, someone in your lovely circle would enjoy it, also feel free to pass the episode on. And if you are a regular listener, let's say that you have been in the BNY Nation for a while, welcome back. We're happy to have you, fam. Yeah, yes, yeah. So today's episode was inspired by food and our lack of ability to travel. At the moment. Yes. (laughs) I realize that vaccines are rolling out. It sort of feels like everyone is in a different um, phase of coming out of the pandemic. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think it's 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 so weird, right? It's like it's it feels like things are starting to come back out, come back up, right? right? Like restaurants are opening, patio dining Mm -hmm. is available. And then there are some places where you still see some places like closed and not operating. And so it is this weird, yeah, it's like this weird, I've never had to like make sure to call every restaurant before I go because I can't trust what's online. Oh, I don't know if this has happened. Right. Yeah. I don't know if this has happened to any of you guys out there, but there's been so many times during the pandemic where a I have either wanted to buy something from the specific place or restaurant, whatever, um, or I wanted to go there and like sit on the patio and either a they're not open, b the patio's not open and c there's all these like there's like I went to this. I wanted to go to this cafe. I think it was. Ah, somewhere on the west side, but they were doing outside seating and there was a cleaning fee. You had to pay for I'm a sorry, cl- what? Yeah, that was new to me. You had in order to sit outside, you had to pay a cleaning fee of three dollars. Oh. <laughs> I feel like that should just be included because COVID. Right. And and I was like, I, I guess I was a little shocked because that had actually I had never run into that. And I mean, on, on the restaurant aspect, I, I understand why they would do that. Um, but, you know, like how much you got to clean? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. You know, it was just like I'm not going there to be like messy. I mean, who knows? Maybe they ha- maybe maybe people didn't make a mess or they actually had to go above and beyond because of that. So then they had to 
incorporate a cleaning fee. Anyways, yeah, there's there's all these like signs, you know, and you got to follow these signs. You don't know where you're going. I've I've like walked in the restaurant by accident looking for a place to order because I couldn't find the window to order. Like, uh, like yeah. navigating the, the the going out. Um, it's so different than than before, and I guess I just I, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> sure, no, sure. I hear what you're saying. I don't feel like. Restaurants or cafes should charge a cleaning fee. That's I feel like it's in their best interest to just make sure no one gets COVID in their establishment. I think it's like, you know, good for business. Um, yeah. But I had a, a weird situation this past Saturday. Uh, my dude, the guy that I fiance with, uh, <laughs> was out of town. And there's one restaurant that I, I go to when he's out of town because there's a lot of uh, crustacean type seafood that I like Mm -hmm. to get and he's allergic. And so I tend to have it when he's not in the house so that nothing, um, you know, no weird cross contamination happens and everyone stays healthy. And I guess I've gotten really comfortable with assuming that most places do curbside pickup. Right. Like I would just assume that if you call and place your order over the phone and clearly state, hi, I'm not trying to come inside please bring my food out to me, that they will do that. And so I pulled up in front of this restaurant after placing my order, paying online, and I see this woman out front, and she's clearly talking to, like, a friend. And so when I call, she picks up, and she, like, tries to sound really busy and hurried until I tell her, I see you, ma'am. You're in the floral white and blue dress. Like I, you seem to be talking to a friend or a comrade or a coworker. But there's a line out front. Like you are leading me to believe. So I understand that if if there's a rush, I've worked in restaurants. I, I understand what a rush is and how it can shake you and throw you. But you seem to be talking to a friend. So can you please run my food out to me? Because I'm in busy Silver Lake on busy Silver Lake Boulevard and don't necessarily want to drive around and around and around for a parking spot while you just like chop it up with one of your friends. P.S. I'm jealous that you and her are just like (laughs) picking it like cronies. But please give me my food. Like allow me to do to go curbside pickup and go about my day. I don't want you to get COVID. I don't want to get COVID either. It is a weird time in the pandemic. It is. I have to say. It is. Hopefully it's on the up and up. Yeah. Oh, you said it. I know. Well, if there's one thing that I also hope is on the up and up, it's travel. Mm -hmm. Because I know we're big travelers and I know we've talked off mic a lot about missing travel. I know that yeah. you have your your standing trips that you would take every year. Yeah. And I know that you haven't been able to do those or you weren't able to do those. No. What was that like for you? And how are you trying to um, <laughs> get them travel in in 2021 if that's even a reality? Yeah. Um you know, it's been tough. I, I've actually been connecting with a lot of um, like friends and family back in Taiwan specifically because of not being able to see them. Uh, it, it has been tough. Like, I mean, trust me, those ticket prices are so good. <laughs> it is un- unbelievable to think that a round trip to, you know, Brazil could cost like $400. Like, mm-hmm. I, I almost bought. I was like, I'll get COVID just to, just to, right. 
Right. Yeah, like those it, prices are so tempting. You're like, hmm, is it worth the money or my health? Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not quite crazy. a bargain or right. a juggle. <laughs> but yeah, it's been tough. Um, I, I definitely miss it. I, I just miss being able to, you know, uh, you know, just tra- just travel and see my family and and get out of America. God, <laughs> America <laughs> has been intense, and I with everything oh my god of everything that's been happening like you know like all these asian hate crimes happening like every day that it's just it's like just just so much negativity here and sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes i'm like you know i know i'm an american and i'm really proud to be an american but i would like to be taiwanese for a couple months and (laughs) and get out or be be brazilian for a couple months because it's just too much here you know like it, it can yeah. be too much. And so I think even, even not even if you get out of the country, but even just to like somewhere, you know, in California that where you are away from everything, I think does the body, mind, soul sure. wonders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I feel that I, uh, at the beginning of this year or maybe at the end of last year, uh, my family has a place in Palm Springs. And so, uh, it's a it's a condo that no one really uses. And so mm-hmm. at the end of last year, Dylan and I were like, well, let's just get out of the house because we hadn't been anywhere uh, other than our four walls and maybe like an hour in either direction going <laughs> to see my parents or maybe just like going for a nice drive. Um, so we went to Palm Springs and we were like, OK, this is good for the soul. This is good for the mind. And now I feel like I am just putting so much pressure. We're, we're now going once a month. And I, I know like I'm I, uh... putting... I, so much pressure on Palm Springs. <laughs> I'm sure Palm it's Springs the only is travel welcoming that you. we're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the only travel, and so you know, it's like, okay, well, can I? Maybe this time I'll eat uh, a lot of French food, and I'll have a you know a French sort of getaway in Palm Springs. Oh, like I find myself themes. sort of trying to do exactly like trying to do something interesting because I'm not getting on a plane for a while. Even once I get the vaccination, I just don't know how comfortable I'll be. So yeah, trying to scratch out. that travel itch is has been a, a thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told when you told me you were in Palm Springs again, I was like, "Wow, like you guys are going a lot." <laughs> we like we it's good for the soul, like just how you said, like it's so good yeah. for our the soul and for our mental clarity. I know. And it's only 2 hours away. I mean, let's right. be real. Like we've Super had easy. we've gotten calls for work and like had to turn around and just go home. So I mean, that's oh, the other Oh, I see. Yeah. Like it's so close that it's like, "Oh yeah, we're out of town," but it's also so close that it's like, mm, you got to work. Get your ass back here. Like, you know, whatever. Champagne problem. Palm Springs. You'll go back next month. Big yeah. Deal. Right. Are there any destinations that once you're done, like once the pandemic is done, you're feeling comfortable? Are there any destinations that you're like, I got to get there come hell or high water? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, I'm honestly... Uh, because of everything that's been happening in, in my life, um, I have actually, I didn't tell you this off mic, but I'm going to tell you this on, on air. Um, I might actually, because I know my path for the next couple of years is, um, is like, I'm going to be studying a lot. And anyways, I might actually, I've been thinking about going to Taiwan and actually staying there for maybe a year or two. Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, I have, yeah. no, I have nothing that's tying me down here 
And I mean, one year, two years goes by like, oh, like so fast. So um, it's not a lot, you know, it's not taking a lot for me as well in terms of like setting something up here just because I know that like, I don't know, it's just it it just like happened one day. And I, I like literally this was like a couple weeks ago. I was I was brushing my teeth and my mom was talking about Taiwan and I was kind of like, what if I just went like you know 2020 yeah. i could have been in taiwan during 2020 like i actually would have been safer sure. there um and i could be in taiwan right now like what it what is it that i'm not that i can't do here that i'm not doing there you know what i mean even if it like does involve yes. food or jobs like i could do everything there so that jack i think you should go you think i should go <laughs> yes i mean you, you just said it like a year goes by like 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 that I, i'm snapping yeah. my fingers but obviously yeah. i'm like it's already phone. march actually snapping yeah like, like i think that sounds amazing yeah like I, the only reason why I, i'm so inclined to go is because if you were to ask my 40 year old 50 year old self i know for a fact i would say that Looking back, going to Taiwan and staying there for a couple of years was one of the one, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Like I know for a fact mm. that that line is something is something I would say. You know, I know Got for it. a fact that on my deathbed I'm gonna be like, yes, that time when I went was like the best thing I could have done at that age. You know, whatever was going on in yeah. the world at that time, and so. I've been planning. Yeah, I just have to get all my documentation. I need to get like my passport, my Taiwanese passport going. Um, so yeah, it's that's that's something that's in the works. Um, I gotta get it all Jack. set up this year. So I know. Do it. Yes. Dang. Go ahead, international girl. Like yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's that is actually so. If there is one destination, that's like a, I would stay there for a bit. It would be a, a I would not leave that destination for quite a bit. So, yeah, girl, we'll that see. sounds like a hell of a time. I Go know. Off. I'll keep you updated. What about you? What about? Aren't you going to get married? What's going on? <laughs> so, so yeah, so so Spain is having its own situation at mm. the moment. So in terms of getting back to Spain, we're not entirely sure when that will happen. I mean, obviously, once all, when once this lifts, Spain is like the number one place that I want to go back to. There has also been a part of me before the pandemic, um, Dylan and I would often talk about visiting places, tropical locations specifically. Uh-huh. Um, that are going to be underwater in the next five to 15 years. Oh. We had often talked about, like, what if we went to the Seychelles before it's completely underwater? Or what if we went here Ah. before it's completely underwater? Yeah, like, we've had those conversations with each other. And there's a part of me that once the pandemic ends, I want to know, like, once the pandemic ends, and because of the way that that the pandemic has affected our environment... Yeah. Um, both positively and negatively, wanting to know yeah. where those locations are that, you know, it's like enjoy it before it's gone kind of a thing. Um, I want to get my hands on some of those places. Like, I, I want to get my hands on some of that literature that says go here before it disappears forever. And then I want to go to those places. Mm. I know that sounds very like abstract. Um, I love it. I mean, I think that's genius also because like, you know, it's it's not as like, you're, you know, it's not your typical like, I want to go to Thailand or I want to go to Rome. Sure. You know, it's very like, it's very smart to think that way. 
Um, yeah, it's one of those things that like, do you know the Salton Sea out by Palm Springs? Like how it used to be a big no, vacation destination. Uh-uh. So the Salton Sea was like a man-made sea, okay. like a man-made ocean out by uh-huh. Palm Springs. Full stop, that's a desert. And it used yeah. to be like a travel destination. And so I've talked to a couple people who used to vacation at the Salton Sea. And the idea of talking to someone about vacationing in a destination that no longer exists, at least it no longer exists to the degree that it once did in its original glory or its original heyday. It's kind of like telling something someone about visiting like a ghost town. And there's something eerily awesome about that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I want in on that experience. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's great. And then and then if you take pictures and then you go back later, right? And then it's not even there right. or something. Whoa. Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. You are reading my mind. Yeah. So it feels like we both have our, our minds set on big travel plans once the pandemic is over. Go us. Yes. But in the meantime, are you using food to help you travel? I know that Pat talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but are you using food at all to help you, uh, I guess, scratch that wanderlust bug? Um, I mean, I'm such a, like, I cook so much already that I don't know if I, I, I think I'm definitely using, um, like, um, television or like, sorry, like shows like music to kind Got of it. travel to another, another destination. I mean, for we had like a big Brazilian feast the other day and it was just like so nice to be able to like enjoy Brazilian food and it made me miss the country so much and miss the people and my family there um so I mean yeah that's kind of like part of my everyday life you know it's always like I always wonder like how much cheaper this bowl of noodles could have been in Taiwan or something like that But yeah, I mean, I guess I never really like notice how many references I'll make to like other countries through food mm. or, you know, through culture um, or through, you know, economic reasons in terms of prices and stuff. So, yeah, I think that's really fascinating that, you that you know, Pat brought that up. Um, and I think it's it's, yeah. it's it's a really good way to connect um, even if you're not traveling. A hundred percent. Pat sort of feels like our podcast fairy godmother. Like, I love that we're still talking to Pat, even though the episode is over. I really love it. (laughs) Pat, if you're listening, we loved having you on. Keep emailing us. Keep talking to us. Uh, We hope you're doing well. so if you if you haven't been able to to tell, we're talking about food and traveling today. Uh, we're talking to a wonderful cookbook author and future doctor, surgeon specifically, who is using food to transport her audience and her audience's taste buds on a trip that our bodies can't physically go on because, you know, the pandemic sucks and is wrecking all fun plans. Uh, Our guest has used food to discover and strengthen ties to her family, her culture, and she is going to tell us all about her delicious travels today. But first, let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's do it. So this is our little spotlight segment. We love to spotlight small, big businesses owned by women Asian Americans, Black Americans, all the colors um, in terms of owning a business. Um, And we specifically like to talk about 
them on the show so we can diversify our dollars so we can you know do our form of economic protest supporting black asian owned businesses um and making sure they get our support during these times so Mm -hmm. because we all know they're still being affected um you know with covid and everything that's still going on um Mm -hmm. so i I, they've been they've been highlighted um a couple times before in other areas but i wanted to just talk about them more because i think what they're like one of a kind um maybe i'm wrong maybe they're not one of but they are one of a kind to me um so um it is the herbivorous butcher so they've been Ooh. featured a couple times they're an all vegan everything butcher shop um which is so ironic to like huh. have that in the same tent sentence yeah yeah so they are a brother and sister duel and they go up they grew up um, on Guam, um, and they had you know meat and see many times of proteins, um, you know, in their meals all the time, and they really wanted to, um, you know, craft free a meat free alternatives for for many of the foods that they grew up on. Um, mm. So they've spent over a decade, um, you know, creating and crafting um, their store. Um, and so uh, they they opened up their butcher shop and um, it started super organically. Um, all of their um, family members, um, you know, they became they were vegan or vegetarian and they cooked and ate together all the time. They're sharing recipes, improving each other's recipes. And then one day, um, you know, Aubrey, um, she just said, you know, let's open up a vegan butcher shop. And and then that's just kind of how it, it started. So they aim to bring us small batch plant-based meats that are always fresh, flavorful, and protein-rich so you never feel like you're sacrificing anything healthy and ethical eating. Um, so, um, yeah, so they do um, curbside pickup and delivery. They don't, they're not opening their stores for customers right now. Um, however, you can also order online and they do deliver, um, not locally as well, but they have everything from Korean ribs to Italian cold cuts to bacon to mm. cheese to queso dips to house-made ranch dressing. Um, you know, they – yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um they have, you know, they also have like how to prepare the foods. Like once you get them, like it's all the information online, steak, chicken, maple, sausage, um, corned beef, chorizo, meatloaf, filet mignon, pot roast. So pretty awesome. What do they not have is the question. Yeah. Um, they're out of, they're out of Minneapolis. Um, but um, I know you can order online and then, you know, they'll send you stuff as well. So check them out. Um, the Ooh. herbivores butcher. Ooh, what you that got? sounds delicious. Yes. So I am going with a face mask company. It's called Diop uh, at Wear Diop on Instagram and WearDiop.com. I have to give again my fiance credit for finding this particular company because he was looking for uh, a face mask that was also beard friendly. So like it fits more, like it's bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He can actually like tuck or he could tuck most of his beard into the face mask. Granted, my, my guy, my dude has like a very long father time face or father (laughs) time beard at this point. He hasn't, he hasn't cut it since the pandemic. And so, yeah, he was looking for face masks that would 
uh, accommodate a beard and was having a hard time finding one, found Where Diop or Diop, um, which is a company that is co-owned by Mapate Diop. I hope I'm saying that right. His family is from Lagos. He is a first-generation American kid. So I think we can understand the the toggle between the native family oh, yeah. culture and being <laughs> here in the United States. And so when his mom would go home to Lagos, she would bring back spools of Ankara, which is that with the brightly colored, brightly patterned African fabrics. And so and then she would take that and have his have him have shirts made in the material. And, you know, it's never quite the same when you're bringing cultural fabric to a to an American tailor and saying, here you go, like make my kid this kind of shirt. Right. Kind of cut. Like, you know what I mean? And so he uh, as a way to a make some money during the pandemic while keeping his culture alive, he started Diop which are all face masks. There's two different kinds of face masks. You've got the standard, uh, I think it's the tie behind face mask. And then you've got the ear size adjustable face masks. Those are the ones that are also beard friendly. Uh, You can get face masks in virtually any color, any print, and any pattern. The patterns are so fun. They're bright. They are, they look great on everyone. He also sells them with the, um, those inserts, the cotton inserts, so that you have maximum protection and strength against COVID and the outside world. They are machine washable. And if you are someone, if you're a bearded individual who listens to this show or you are dating, mating, or living with a (laughs) bearded individual who's having a hard time uh, protecting his beard from COVID as well as his face. Check out Diop. I know that they wear comfortably as per my fiance. Um, he's able to tuck in most of his beard, but he's been really happy with the face mask. And so if you've got a bearded person in your life who needs a face mask for their beard, or hey, if you want to look fly in your African print face masks, check out Diop. I will drop uh, links to both of these businesses in the show notes. And before we kick into the guest intro, I do want to say one quick thing. At the time that we recorded this guest intro, we recorded it uh, a couple of weeks before our guest's cookbook dropping. The cookbook date was bumped back a little bit. So it is now on, st- on it is on stands now. Uh, in the interview, we talk about the cookbook coming out at the end of February. Um, Again, that was before the the date was bumped, and we bumped back this episode to honor the book actually being out in stores now. So if you like what you hear, you can go ahead and support our guest by buying her cookbook. And yeah. with that said, Jay, who are we talking to today? Yeah. So Betty Liu is a Chinese-American home cook whose parents and whose husband come from the Jiangnang region. She started writing about Chinese food on her blog BettySLiu.com in 2015, which went to be nominated for Best Photography in 2016 from Savoir Blog and nominated for Best Food Photography by Cucina Courier in 2017. And one more and (laughs) (laughs) named one of the top 10 food blogs by Culture Church. 
Since then, her writing, photography, and recipes have been featured in publications such as Bon Appetit, Food 5-2, Boston Globe, and Savoir. She has taught food photography workshops around the world. Today, she lives in Boston with her husband, Alexander Shu, and their dog, Annie, where she is training to be a surgeon. Slight work, you know, slight work, slight work, but we're happy to have her here today. Happy Chinese New Year, Betty. Congrats on the new cookbook and welcome to the Black and Yellow podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yay. Happy to have you. So, We're so um, excited to chat. We definitely are. Um, generally, we start by having you tell our guests a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do, which, of course, we'll get to as well. Um, but I wanted to kick it off on a different note. Um, how was your Chinese New Year? How did you celebrate during the continuous pandemic? Um, <laughs> and most importantly, of course, we all know, what did you cook? <laughs> um, it was great. Um, because of the pandemic, you know, we really couldn't have any large gatherings, which is sad because this is one of the best times to gather with friends and family and just eat a lot of good food. (laughs) Yes. Um, But (laughs) this year, um, it was really just my husband, Alex, and myself. So we kept it pretty simple. Um, We tried to make dishes that could keep well for leftovers because it's just the two of us. So we Mm. steamed the fish. Um, We made Mm. some bok choy rice. Uh, stir-fried rice cakes, mm. some greens, and Ooh. soup. Ooh. Ooh, so good! <laughs> I can take, I can taste it in my mouth already. Like I already know <laughs> it, it's it's gonna be delicious and super warming. Also, by the way, jealous that you get two New Years. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> We had this we had this bit in our last Chinese we had a, an, in our Chinese New Year episode where Alana was like if the first New Year doesn't work out you have like you have like 30 days to like reset <laughs> and I thought about it. another I was like, start <laughs> yeah totally um, yeah. <laughs> so now that we got that out of the way and 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 deliciously out of the way um tell us <laughs> tell us our audience about the work that you do um and, and how you came about all that stuff. Sure. Um, so I'm currently a resident physician in general surgery. So I'm hoping to, you know, be a surgeon one day. Um, before that, in another life, it feels like when I had a lot more time, um, I, was, <laughs> I was a food photographer and a blogger. And that's kind of how this cookbook came about. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure having that kind of background really, really helped pave the way for this new cookbook that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, and let's talk about the cookbook, shall we? Because it's coming out next week. It's coming out on the 2nd of March. It's called My Shanghai Recipes and Stories from a City on the Water. And it is stunning. The book is really visually arresting. It's full of heartwarming stories about your family's culinary traditions. And quite literally, you take us on a journey. So can you please tell us about what inspired you to take this trip and write this book? Thank you so much for the kind words. Um, I'm really happy you said that because I wanted to showcase not just the food um, and the cuisine, but also where, like where this cuisine came from. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a book that I wanted to write for a while for many reasons. My mom and dad are both from Shanghai. Um, My whole family, like their family, their parents, the grandparents are all from Shanghai. So 
I grew up eating mostly homestyle Shanghainese food. Ooh, so good! <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm so jealous right now. You have no idea my my uncle's my uncle's wife was Shanghai, and I grew up oh. eating a lot of her food or Shanghainese,、oh, and I just、yeah. grew up eating a lot of her food, so I miss it dearly.、Oh. Just so you know, <laughs> man, I wish we weren't in the pandemic. So I can have you guys over、um, for、Aww. some Shanghai food.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So to give you a little bit of context, where I grew up、um, near the San Francisco Bay Area in a little town called Fremont, and yeah, Cali girl, <laughs> yeah,、um, West Coast, West Coast,、um, mm-hmm. and there the residents were like eighty percent Asian. So there was a lot、yes. of. <laughs> There's a lot of Asian restaurants, a lot of like regional Chinese restaurants、um, that were like very available.、Um, so when I moved across the country to St. Louis for college, it was a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> I、sure. bet it was. Yeah, I bet.、Um, <laughs> there were, you know, there were obviously some Chinese restaurants, but really none of the you know home style food that I really loved. So my mom would freeze treats. Um, like zongzi and shaomai,、huh? like kind of like dumpling-like stuff.、Um, freeze it and pack it in my luggage so I could bring it with me to college.、Oh, I made a lot、what? of friends that way. <laughs> I'm sure、wow. you did sharing it with them. <laughs> it was great. Yeah.、Um, and but I still really missed it, so that's when I started to cook for myself.、Um, mm-hmm. Of course, my mom. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this, but my mom doesn't really follow any recipes. So she would just tell me like, okay, my like my mom doesn't either. <laughs> just eyeball everything, <laughs> right? Sprinkle some salt, like add just、yeah. enough. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, and I asked her like, how did you learn to cook? She was like, I just, I just watched my my family,、mm. and somehow she just knew how to cook like osmosis. Yeah. So yeah, so I was yeah, like, yeah, okay, for sure. <laughs> So I decided to observe her.、Um, I took notes.、Um, I definitely didn't have her intuition at that time because I, you know,、mm-hmm. didn't really have a lot of cooking experience. So I would make down notes about, you know, what I thought the measurements were,、um, the order of how、mm-hmm. to cook things, and I put it on my blog really for documentation for myself, so that、oh. in the future I could recreate that recipe. Yeah.、Um, so that's that's really how I learned to cook, and that's also how my blog came about. Um, I realized, you know, when I started to get more readers and、um, found myself as part of this community, that there were a lot of other people like myself who really wanted to learn how to cook homestyle Chinese food and learn about, you know, homestyle Shanghainese food.、Sure. Um, sure. And then through all this, I also realized that a lot of, you know, gold standard Chinese cookbooks that people reference are not actually written by Chinese people. Who writes them? Like really great. Authors、um, who do a really good job. Like I've looked through them. I have a couple of them, and they're excellent books. Very academic,、um, but、uh. you know, inevitably, it's through the lens of white people. So, sure,、uh, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was waiting for that too. I was, I was like, like, who's writing these books? These academic cookbooks. I, you like you set us up too. You like you were like、yeah. they're really awesome and they're great. <laughs> <laughs> be honest, like they they are good, and it's not like. And there are some that are that are even regional. Like there's one that looks looks through like、wow. all the all the regions of China in one big cookbook, and I really admire her efforts、um, to go through and really parse through what regional cuisine is. But you know, no matter how good, no matter how many Chinese people they talk to, it's through the lens of someone who's not from China. Sure. 
Right, um, of course. And there, you know, there's nothing wrong with that for that kind of book. But right. I wanted to write this, you know, very personal book that's about the food sure. of my family. And, you know, in China, food is inherently intimate and rooted in family. So I wanted to write for a book sure. that reflected that. Mm, awesome. Yeah, if Susan White is telling me how to make Shanghainese food, I'm not purchasing that cookbook. Something tells me Susan White doesn't understand the culture and the cooking. I'm just saying. That's so, I mean, that's interesting. I, I would have... I understand like you you did your research and you know you're probably like gravitated yeah. towards that stuff anyways but yeah I like that's new to me I would have never thought that um oh, yeah. also not surprised but yeah <laughs> I would have never I would have never had 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 thought that so yes yeah. if you google like that's Sichuan cookbook or mm-hmm. Chinese cookbook like mm-hmm. yeah our forums and like the top links are all books by white people <laughs> wow Oh, that says a lot. Well, yeah, we got. I'm so glad that you're you're putting yourself out there <laughs> and that you're making space for Asian female written cookbooks. You know, like Thank that's you. so important. Okay. Hey, I feel like this needs to be a bumper sticker or like a T-shirt. Buy Asian cookbooks by Asian authors. <laughs> but you could also swap that out with anything like buy soul food cookbooks by black yes. authors. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all yes. kind of one in yeah. the same. Mexican right. cookbooks by Mexican. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's blasphemous to... To, to do anything other than that. Um, I have a weird follow-up question. What yeah. came first, the idea for the book and then the trip or the trip and then the idea for the book? I guess mostly the trips because I've been going back to Shanghai Got like it. almost, you know, every every year or every other year, depending on, you know, my schedule since I was a baby. Um, and wow. I've spent like full summers. I interned in Shanghai Aww. once. Um, so I feel like it's, it's definitely, you know, besides like California and now I'm in Boston, it's the other sure. place I would call home. So I would say like overall, definitely the trips before the book. But then, Got you know, it. once I had the idea and I actually sold the book, I knew that I really wanted to showcase um, Shanghai and its surrounding areas as well to just give people some like some context about where the food sure. comes from. Understood. I mean, I have to say, preparing for this episode was really a lot of fun, a real treat, because it allowed us to travel via food. And I think in this year, in the past year, where no one was traveling, and I think that's going to keep going into this year, where where we so desperately want to travel, and most of us probably will not, because we either haven't gotten our vaccine or just don't feel safe, your book transported us. So thank you for giving us the gift of um, being transported to another place and culture and time uh thank you for your services there i have to say um how has growing up around such a robust food culture shaped you and your outlook on food i think mostly in how i appreciate the food of other cultures got it i think that interesting i think that food is always evolving and you know in my personal journey i think it's been you know recognizing what is generational cooking versus how that fits Mm. in a modern kitchen um, you know, I think there's no one way to make like lime technique ball, you know, like a classic sure. dish. Every family has their own way of making it and there's no wrong way to do it. I think it's more appreciating its origins as well as like the principles behind the cooking. So I think, mm. you know, in writing this process, because I obviously really respect 
you know, how my parents cooked it, how does this fit in, in my kitchen? Um, but, you know, appreciating that process then I think has made me appreciate also how I look at food from other cultures and who am I going to kind of, kind of what we were talking about before, but who am I going to learn about um, the food of other cultures from? Right. Mm, Hopefully someone native to that culture. Exactly. They're just saying. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that's a great outlook to have, especially because, you know, Asian culture is so rich in, in food, right? It's like, we don't have our culture without our food in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that you can say that about Italians, you can yeah. say that about so, so many cultures across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to ask, what was it like to write a Chinese cookbook as a first generation Chinese American? Like how did, was there like, like weight on your shoulders? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm like a first generation Chinese American too. And I'm just like thinking about like stuff you thought about. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely a little bit of stress. Um, especially, yeah, <laughs> especially since there, there aren't a lot of cookbooks written by Chinese people and right, you know, first generation Chinese Americans or even like Asian Americans. Right. Um, you know, I, I hope it lives up to everyone's expectations. Um, but it was also just like a really fun process because I feel like you know probably how I feel, you know, moving away from home, missing the home style food that I. I ate growing up, like finding comfort in food and missing that mm-hmm. when you're away from home, I, I feel like it it can't be something that only I feel. Like it must be somewhat mm-hmm. universal. And from the people I've talked right. to, um, it's a very familiar feeling. Um, so it was also a really fun process. I had a lot of phone calls with my parents and my husband's parents. Um, I didn't mention this before, but my husband's parents are also from the same area. They're from Suzhou and Nanjing. Cool. So Oh, I have a wow. lot of both. how nice is that? <laughs> so I have like wow. my family's recipes and also some of his family's recipes. Um, so that's so wonderful. <laughs> I, I I love that familiarity. Must be really nice to have. Yeah. yeah. Did your families get closer th- in this process? A I'm little just bit. Curious. Um, we hmm. we actually met in high school. So he also grew up in Fremont. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yes! Yes! Love. So they already know each other. <laughs> I see. Have you guys been together? Like, did you guys get together in high school and stay together? Yes. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Because yeah, Alana has been with her high school. Oh, yeah. Like, lover, so, but- so we took a break. Yeah. So I would say you guys are legit high school sweethearts. Dylan and I are kind of sort of high school sweethearts. Like we dated in high school, broke up and, and came back together. But I love. <laughs> I love high school love. Oh, yeah, I love it agreed. so much. Congratulations. Love love. Thanks, you too. <laughs> that, that should be an episode. There you go. <laughs> um, so speaking of familiarity, like I know I know the pandemic and totally turned our world mm-hmm. upside down because of it. People are looking for those the rituals and just the traditions to make them feel psychologically safe and comforted and, and connected to a larger person or just connected in general. Um, do you have any of your favorite food rituals or, you know, any traditions that you discovered on, on many of your trips? Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I actually, I really miss a family style dining. <laughs> oh, like it's really hard because of yes. the pandemic, you know, yeah, eating yeah, with a yeah. bunch of That's people. That's super big. Lazy yeah, season, round table. Exactly. Yeah. Like I think yeah. like, you know, I love going out to eat and having, you know, your own course and whatever too, but I really miss having like a bunch of dishes in the center of the table 
everyone reaching for food. It's, it just feels very intimate and like very casual, but like in a very like close way, very familial. familial and I really miss mm-hmm. that. So I think one thing besides actually missing, you know, my family who I haven't seen in a year because they live in California. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I just miss that part about eating food. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. You yeah. said a lazy Susan Jackie, and I can see it going around just like stocked full of food in my mind's yeah. eye right like, now. People like shoving food on your plate, shoving yeah. food in your mouth. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like things falling, kids yelling. Like, yeah, I, just, yeah sure. I, I, I definitely and, like, can, can. As the dishes that. go around on the lazy Susan, how it hits like your cup. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and your oh, tea yeah. Cup. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. or like someone, someone's moving it, and then oh, wait, like you want that it. dish, <laughs> and then you have to like wait, right? Because if it's like an uncle or like oh, your yeah, grandma, definitely. you have to like you like you're like no, 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 like of course you first, yeah. you know. Ah, it's, oh, yeah, so you're not allowed some... to be like, oh wait, no, turn that back around. Like oh, I'm no. like, like you can't like reverse it. Oh, no, no, unless. Unless you're like like five and you just right. don't know like it as well, but sure. it's, yeah, like it's, I mean, I'm assuming Betty and I are closer in age, so like <laughs> we we would definitely be like, no, like you go first. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for reminding us of that. I don't think I've thought of communal dining probably since March of 2020, and yeah. thank you for just giving that warmth to us. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the exact same way. Um, <laughs> You did a really great job to make recipes uh, rooted in tradition feel accessible to different types of readers with varied cooking skill levels. And I wanted to know, what was it like to find the right balance of conserving authenticity in your recipes while making recipes that readers of all backgrounds can make? That's a great question. Um, So you know, in the beginning, when I was creating my recipe list for my proposal, I initially found myself struggling and worrying about, you know, which ingredients are accessible, familiar, Mm. um, especially, you know, in the advent of like online shopping and um, the prevalence of, you know, ethnic grocery stores, for lack of Mm -hmm. a better word. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and especially since Shanghainese cuisine isn't mainstream Chinese food. It's not like what right. what most people perceive as Chinese food is. Sure. Right. It's like a specialty, right? Yeah. So but then yeah. I quickly realized that like I'm writing this book because I, I want to really talk about regional Shanghainese cuisine. Mm, I didn't right. want to make compromises. So I, I made a like very conscious decision not to think about the popular palate because that wouldn't be true oh. to my to what I'm trying to convey. So sure. instead I thought more about like what produce is available and what like livestock and protein is available in the U.S. versus in Shanghai. So for example, you know, like bok choy, seltas, like they're easily grown in the U.S. and easily available. Um, even bamboo is available here. Um, but it's growing in my front yard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, like freshwater, tiny shrimp, is like a classic in Shanghainese cuisine. They're found in like kind of the rivers and paddies. Uh, and freshwater eel is found in the rice fields of China. So those are much harder to find. So mm. I would omit dishes um, that really require those ingredients because part of Shanghainese ah. cuisine is like really focusing and highlighting the ingredient. It doesn't overpower the ingredient with like lots of sauces or like 
overpowering flavors. Um, mm -hmm. And it's more about just highlighting the natural ingredient. So there was mm -hmm. one dish that I really, I was really sad to exclude called crystal shrimp. Um, but I knew mm. I had to exclude it because that dish is all about the tender, sweet, freshwater shrimp. And the shrimp mm. we have here would never produce that same texture and, and uh, mouthfeel. Interesting. I, see. Can, can, uh. I probably should have asked you this, you this earlier in the episode. But for those listeners that don't know, can you explain the difference between Shanghainese cooking and traditional Chinese cooking? Yeah, so... You know, so so just like traditional Chinese cooking in general, I would say is like a loaded term because China's okay. huge and you yes. know, <laughs> like huge, and there are <laughs> so there are so many different regions and provincial cooking. Like, if you look at Sichuan cooking, mostly because it's mm -hmm. you know the most famous one. Even like sure. Xi'an cooking, who we all know from like Xi'an famous foods. Yeah, like they're they're very different, and Shanghainese cooking is like it's its own. Like culinary style, um, there's like actually north, 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 south, east, west too. Just like if you divide it into four yeah, categories, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Um, so Shanghainese cooking is is more about you know highlighting the natural ingredients. Some people would call it sweet, and I will say that it does go towards the sweeter side. But sweet mm. is like kind of a too simplistic term to define what it is. Sure. Um, it uses a lot of soy sauce, a lot of cooking wine, a lot of vinegar. Um, and a lot of just like aromatics. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for people to learn more about it in my cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I would have never thought to think about the produce that we have in America, but that you had to kind of strike that balance between what we have here, obviously, because your cookbook is selling here, um, and and what is also regional and authentic. Um, and I'm sure, sure omitting cer certain dishes definitely is like killing killing your baby right like it's like yeah, yeah. you want to put it in there but you just can't um yes <laughs> i think also we we were very lucky to read it uh living in a big city because we don't i don't live super far from chinatown so there were a lot of ingredients in your cookbook where i was like oh yeah i could just like yeah head down to cherry avenue get off park and like pick them up um so i also i i think that coming from the perspective of what is available, not just readers in big cities, but also small towns. And if they could get the ingredients is a really smart choice. So thank you for that. Right. Yeah. I guess I forget how blessed we are in that sense. Like my totally. Chinese markets, like literally I could like walk to it right now. Like it's mm -hmm. so close. <laughs> yeah. Or even in this conversation, it's like Shanghainese. Yes. I, as a black woman have been doing this podcast <laughs> for three years. I'm very well versed in this culture, but I have, we, I realize that we have other black listeners who might not have ever heard of this cuisine ever. So we do get spoiled in that way. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so how are creating recipes for a blog different from creating recipes for a cookbook? Um, and is there a process that you enjoy more or less from the other? With my blog, I feel like I was mostly having fun and coming up with like <laughs> fun recipes. Sure. Um, like it felt more casual. But with my book, mm. you know, I feel like I'm trying to do my family food justice. So, uh, so I oh. yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I want, you know, readers to realize that Chinese food is, isn't that hard to cook at home. Like, Got it. it's, you know, it's home style cooking. It's what we cook every day. It's like very mm -hmm. flexible and forgiving, but I felt like I had to, you know, spend more time in making sure that the recipe felt that way. Um, I like doing both. It's just very different. 
Yeah. I was on your blog and I saw your, I, don't, I forgot what type of mushroom it is, but it's like the pumpkin puree melt. Oh, um, yeah. mushroom. Yeah. Oh my God. It looked so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recreate it. Um, Cause I love, I love pumpkin. I love pumpkin puree or I love like, you know, any kind of like pumpkin puree. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I love mushrooms. So it's, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to have to try that one. Gourds I just wanted to let fungus. you know. Gourds and fungus. Jackie is a fan. How very I fall am. of you. Is fall your favorite season? <laughs> Um, I don't know about fall, but I like, I like, like, roots. Like, I like a lot of roots and, like, yeah. warming. Like, um, you know, because I, t- I, like, I, I typically run cold. So I oh, like anything, okay. like, soup. I like anything that's yeah. going to, like, warm my body yeah. up, you know. And, you know, my mom's always saying, like, yin and yang and, like, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I, like, grew up cooking with her, too. So it's very much ingrained in, yeah. um, in my blood. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was super excited to do this episode um, when Alana told me about it. I was like, oh my gosh, of course. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so you also are in your residency, which is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it, but it is um, like, you guys are really, really awesome. I have a couple of friends in the residency right now and you guys are superhuman. Um, I'll just, I'll just say that. Um so congratulations. Um, and this is just also a side note. Did you, have you found a way um, that you, like the way you cooked before your residency and during your residency? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a difference in that? And then after a long day, you know, uh, maybe like a 24 hour shift, even like, <laughs> yeah. do you, like, how do you, uh, do you come home? Do you compress? Does your husband cook for you? Like, what, how do you, you know, cause I know that it can be very therapeutic, and you know relaxing as well so what's that like so honestly sometimes <laughs> i'm so exhausted that i just don't have the energy to cook um, <laughs> <laughs> so and so my husband's also a resident so <laughs> wow <laughs> so we're just like oh like so exhausted and we're just like we need Crazy. to order takeout <laughs> yeah um, oh my but gosh i would definitely say it it makes me miss cooking more mm. um because I just don't do it as much as I used to before mm. so if anything it I think it it makes me look forward to my time you know my days off and then I actually mm. plan something like it's less spontaneous because I have less time to really cook something special and then I also feel like I'm more drawn to like simpler foods like stuff that's really easy and food prep so like I make a lot of wontons and freeze them so that I could just take it out of the freezer and cook them. And that takes like 15 minutes. Smart. Got it. Yeah. Or do you guys work the same schedule or are you guys two ships passing in the residency on different schedules? <laughs> we're at different programs. So okay. we're, you know, our schedules are different. Um, so sometimes you don't see each other, right? Yeah. For like days. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like when I'm on nights yeah. and he's on days, we don't see each other until the weekend. So that's hard. Yeah. 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 Wow. I have um I have a really good friend. She's doing her residency in Tucson and uh-huh. she had just gotten married in Taiwan um oh. in 2019 yeah. and then they they went straight to um like we were all there together in Taiwan, which was really awesome. And then they went straight to do the residency and it was ironic. She had just gotten married and then she didn't see her husband for like a whole year <laughs> like after that. <laughs> Yeah, like once, <laughs> once, once a week, and I just remember calling her, being like, "This is that's that's your life, right? I guess you're married, but you never see your husband." <laughs> yeah, that's the rest of wow. my life. 
<laughs> yeah, it reminds it reminds me of that though. So once it's all said and done, are you going to be an OR, an operating surgeon, or yeah, yeah. okay, awesome. operating? So surgeon. if I need to get some surgery in Boston, <laughs> put down the scalpel and call Betty Lou. That is the only person I want cutting into my body. <laughs> You have to wait um, five years. That's okay. I'm in good health, and so is Jackie. We will wait, and we'll wait for you. We'll wait for the surgery. Exactly. Um, so for our final question, I want to get some of your food predictions for 2021. Uh, Jack and I like to like get a peek behind the curtain because we're kind of food nerds, and we want to know what's cooking. What's cooking? Good looking. So uh, what do you think the food trends will be for 2021? What will you be cooking, and what do you suggest we cook and eat? So. You know, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question because most of my time is in residency, but my personal food trend is, I think, going to be appreciating food from other cultures. Like, there are many more cookbooks that are starting to focus on, like, just, like, Indonesian food or, um, like, African food. That's crazy. Our our guests, our our, our Chinese New Year guest had just, she's Indonesian, and she was just saying how she would love to see Indonesian food be more mainstream. Oh, yeah. Um, There's this cookbook. That's so Um, funny. Yeah, it's like coconut and sambal. I'll I'll Uh send you the link later. Oh wait, yeah, I think she mentioned that one. How like it, it, like no one cared about Indonesian cooking, and then this 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 book came out, and everyone was like all about it. Yes. So and that's why I think like cookbooks they really do have the power to, you know, to teach people um, what food is like from another culture. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that will be a great trend for 2021. Um, and I, for one, will be cooking a lot from the Xi'an Famous Foods Cookbook, who is written by a Chinese person. Um, awesome. Chi- uh, Jason Wang, who, you know, he and his father started the Xi'an Empire. Um, and I'll probably start with Yum Yum Noodles, the hand-pulled Ooh, noodles that they're famous yeah. for. <laughs> wow. Right. My mom, my mom's been wanting to make that those for a while, so maybe she'll do it on Chinese New Year. Ooh, doing it big. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, are we ready for the rapid fire part of the interview? Sure. <laughs> okay, cool. Rapid fire questions. This is just to get our to have our listeners know a little bit more about you. Uh, please answer the first thing that comes to mind. And the most important thing to remember is that there are no wrong answers here. So, what is your favorite cookbook? Salt, fat, acid, heat. Ah, I uh Samin fan. Yeah. Definitely. Did you check out her podcast as well? Oh, absolutely. Loved home cooking. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Awesome. Uh what's your favorite recipe in your cookbook? Um, red braised pork belly. Mmm. What's the best piece of cooking advice you've ever received? Um, flavor in layers. What does that mean? So like every, you know, every step that you make in cooking, like you layer your flavors. So it's not just like just salt at the very end. You, like every step should contribute to the ultimate flavor of the dish. Makes a huge difference. Ah, okay. Thank you for letting me know that. I definitely was not <laughs> sure of what you meant by that. So thank you for the clarity. Uh, what's your favorite memory from your trip to Shanghai for the purposes of making this book? Oh, um, I would say visiting a hairy crab farm. Oh, cute. <laughs> yeah. What is a hairy crab farm? So, hairy crab. I love hairy crab. Yeah, same. So, hairy crab is like this awesome delicacy in the Shanghai area. And it's only found in the Shanghai area and like its surrounding provinces. They grow at the bottom of freshwater lakes. And there are farms that harvest 
these crabs that have like hairy claws. That's I mean, hence the name. And they're known okay. for their like really sweet flesh and they're like really creamy roe. It's it's like a delicacy. And if you go in the fall in Shanghai, like everyone, even train stations will be selling hairy crabs. Wow. Interesting. So I should put this on my culinary bucket list for life. Like visit a hairy crab farm. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Or just go to Shanghai and eat everything because there's probably like, you probably could, could, you have to eat your way through the city, but I don't think we could probably even eat at all the the amount of restaurants. (laughs) (laughs) We would, we would have to stay for like a year. (laughs) (laughs) What is your, if you could pick your last meal on earth, what would it be? Mm, wontons. Straight. Wow. That's the like <laughs> the quickest answer we have ever gotten to that question. I love yeah. it. Uh, what is the recipe you cannot stop making in quarantine? Wontons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just wontons at every answer. <laughs> I love it. What was the last thing you binge watched and loved? Oh, Gilmore Girls. Wonderful. Ooh, Ooh, vintage classic. Love Uh, it. What's your dream travel destination? Japan. Love. Mm. Last purchase that you made that excited you? (laughs) Don't laugh. Wontons. (laughs) (laughs) No, Jacqueline, I make it. I know, I know. (laughs) I I bought face masks. Ooh. Okay, tell us more. Are they sheet masks, yeah, mud sheet masks? masks. Like, you know, okay. I, I wear a mask all day, every day. Sure. Oh, I need some I skin rejuvenation. Got it. You need a different yes. kind of mask. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Residency. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Can I just ask what brand? Like Korean sheet masks or I, like I your like... good old Sephora sheet mask? <laughs> I like SK2 sheet masks. Got it. Okay. Oh, fancy. You and Kate Blanchett love an SK2 face mask. Okay. Treat yourself, girl. That's Treat yourself. Right. <laughs> Treat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. Go off, girl. And final question. Bad days. We all have them. What's your remedy? Wontons, obviously. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for coming on our show today. Thank you for having uh, give me. Give us a 100%. It was a blast. Uh, last but not least, how can our listeners keep up with you? Where can they buy the book? Where can they find you? We want all of the plugs, please. You can pre-order the book right now um, through, you know, your local bookstores, um, bookshop. does a great job in pulling books from lo- like independent bookstores. Um, there's also awesome. Amazon, um, and you can find me probably most active on Instagram. It's BLIU07, and obviously my website, um, BettySLU.com. Wonderful. So we're going to drop links to how you can keep up with Betty in show notes. Her book drops on March 2nd. It's called My Shanghai Recipes and Stories from a City on the Water. You're going to want to get it because it's going to transport you. And hey, let's learn something new to cook. Let's shake up the kitchen dynamics. Let's shake up what we've been eating in 2021. Let's travel with our taste buds, shall we? Uh, that is our episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. You can find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast, or you can find us individually. I am Alana Webster. However, on the gram, they call me at Renegade of Fun. I am Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. We're also on Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcast. 
Let us know what you guys thought about this episode. Go out and buy the book. Treat yourself. Thank you so much, Betty, once mm. again. It was so wonderful having you and speaking to you. And we'll hear from you guys next time. <laughs>